This podcast is sponsored by Drax. As the UK's largest renewable electricity generator, Drax plays a critical role in UK energy security. They have committed to invest £2.5 billion in new green energy infrastructure, creating jobs and growth across the country. Find out more at Drax.com. Hello and welcome to Coffee House Shots, the Spectator's daily politics podcast. I'm Cindy Yu and I'm joined by James Forsyth and Katie Boyce. Now, James, today the National Grid has given a warning that quite a few number of households will be facing blackouts or could be facing blackouts come this winter. Can you tell us about that? Yes, they've said that they think that it should be fine. There should be a 6% margin, so they shouldn't, there shouldn't be blackouts. But the danger is if, if the UK cannot import energy, there is a risk of you know, households being subject to three-hour blackouts. Now, I think when we come to this risk... The risk is essentially that, as we saw with COVID, when countries aren't confident they have enough supply to deal with their own needs, exports can can end up being curtailed as countries put their own, their own interests first. I mean, that, that is the risk this winter. I mean, there is also an issue in the UK, which is the UK has suffers from grid congestion, which means that it is it finds it difficult. It's getting lots of renewables, lots of particularly lots of offshore wind, but it's finding it difficult to connect those to the grid and move that about the grid. I think this is one of the really big things that we have got wrong in this country. Is that because of old infrastructure? Old infrastructure. I mean, so, you know, basically up in Aberdeen and Peterhead, for example, you know, they are creating these floating offshore wind turbines, right, which, which should be fantastic for the UK's energy needs. But there is a struggle to connect them to the grid and move them around the grid efficiently because of this outdated Structure. This is something that really does need looking at. Mm-hmm. And I, I think I read somewhere that France has put our energy supply in their calculations and we've so done the same for them. It, it is technically possible for both to be true. But it is rather alarming that both that the UK and French plans for avoiding blackouts both in, involves importing energy from, from, from the, the other. other. <laughs> right. Um, Katie, in the leadership contest, Liz Truss ruled out energy rationing this winter, whereas Rishi Sunak um, refused to do so. Do you think that's a position that can hold? Well, I think what's interesting is behind the scenes, departments, civil service, industry have been talking about potentially a comms campaign, which is saying, be careful of how much you use, or at least flagging or alerting ways that you can uh, reduce the amount of energy you use, and doing so in a way which is encouraging you to think about it. But I think Liz Truss released uh, during the campaign, and so it's quite opposed as part of her politics of telling people exactly what to do mm. and therefore does not want to do something like this. And I wonder if this report is, all these warnings are going to mean that actually you do get something regardless. At the moment, it seems that idea had been killed. But obviously, if it does look as though blackouts are a real option, depending on what is then sorted on energy imports, you could end up in a situation where you, you have to do something a bit like that. Mm-hmm. And James, energy is one of the things on the agenda for Liz Truss as she goes to Prague today. Tell us about this European political community. What exactly is it? So this is the brainchild of Emmanuel Macron. And the idea is it's to kind of bring together all European countries, regardless of whether they're EU members or not, to discuss matters of common interest. And there had been a lot of debate about whether the UK would go or not. And Liz Truss has decided to go. One of the reasons that she writes in the Times today that she decided to go is to kind of emphasise the need to keep these energy interconnectors which are so important open i actually think it's also a very good thing to go in and of itself because there there is a need this is a way that the uk can talk with european states including eu member states without any compromise on sovereignty about matters of common interest and people say oh my word this is just going to be another talking shop 
sometimes there is nothing wrong with talking. You know, some good things might flow from the talking, and also talking might improve the general mood and rebuild trust, which has which has been problematic in 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 recent years. And so I think I think there is I think I think the idea is is actually a good one. And I think it's also worth noting here that the way in which this has been constructed, with the hosts alternating between an EU member state and a non-EU member state, and on the EU side the council, which is the grouping of the the member states rather than the commission which is the permanent brussels bureaucracy taking much greater role you know, this has been designed to try and allay the concerns of the brits and i think you know often the problem i think has appeared to borrow a phrase from Irish, the phrase and else that you know that, that you that the brits can feel like a vegetarian at a state restaurant when dealing when trying to deal with these things because it's you know you know all EU member states plus the uk and and the uk is understandable reasons feels awkward about that kind of thing this is actually is the first time that, that i think that you've seen since 2016 an attempt to make the EU, the uk feel welcome in a european gathering and i think i think it is progress because it's not just eu members who are going is it yeah. are there other non-eu yeah, members there are other, I mean, yeah there are other non-eu members who are going to be there the norwegians the turks are slightly more dubiously or the turks are slightly dubious but even more dubiously the azerbaijanis i, I think it, essentially i think what this is is about an attempt to pull play uh, to try and reduce moscow's pull over countries in, in europe which is a good thing and i think you also see actually the value in this in that you know if you look at the opec plus decision yesterday to cut energy production now we can discuss the rights and wrongs of what triggered this and obviously things would be easier between the us and saudi arabia if mohammed bin salman had not been involved in the um, uh, had not had not according to us intelligence been involved uh, in the decision to order the the, the murder of a, of a washington post columnist but um that decision i think also shows that you know that, that if you're in terms of trying to reduce russia's power and influence maintaining contact with other mm. energy suppliers is an important part of that. Well, that is also interesting coming in the month after the Shanghai Cooperation Organization meeting in Uzbekistan, where China and Russia are both trying to kind of pull these Central Asian states towards them, slash European states. Um, Katie, Liz Truss on the international stage, she's had a few outings now. Is she being well received, do we think? Is she performing well? Well, if you compare the tone of Liz Truss now she is prime minister to this just when she was trying to be picked as prime minister they are two different things mm. so if you remember in that uh, one of the leadership debates and she was asked about Emmanuel Macron you know for a friend and suggest the jury was out where she's kicked off this summit with a common piece for the times where she said you know the headline is time to find common cause of our European friends and it feels a lot more conciliatory um, I think there's also renewed optimism and obviously take this with a pinch of salt because there has many times before that actually on the protocol there could be a landing zone or I think the EU at least are moving in a direction I think there's a question as to is it something Liz Truss can accept? Is it something the Tory party, the right of the party, their back, Liz Truss accepts? But I think in the general mood music is much more positive than it was, you know, a few weeks ago. Um, but a national leader on the world stage being well-received doesn't have much impact in terms of the domestic audience. <laughs> I mean, we saw Boris Johnson, you know, in his, in his final few weeks um, out there trying to fly the flag. And if anything, it... He, 
it can give you a false sense of security mm. when you're doing those things and then you get back and you realise you've got uh, you know, lots of domestic problems that are not being fixed by this. James, just briefly on the Northern Ireland Protocol, because today um, Leo Varadkar has also said that it's possibly a bit too harsh. A bit too strict, yes. I-, I think one of the big questions is, we have been here before, that the EU, you know, that the Irish is just, and then it turns out that, that what they're prepared to offer doesn't deal with the fundamental British worry. So on the optimistic case for a solution to the protocol is that mood music has improved. Note uh, the fact that, that Liz Truss is at this meeting of Emmanuel Macron's brainchild, the EPC. And also there is an element here that, you know, with both the UK and Eurozone economies facing significant headwinds and all the Ukraine tensions, you know, getting the stone out of a shoe, as, as the Brits like to call it, on the protocol would be sensible. I think the pessimist case would be if you're on the EU side and you look at these opinion polls showing that the Tories are 20 odd points behind or maybe even 30 points behind, you begin to think, oh, well, maybe we could wait this government out and do a deal with Keir Starmer's Labour Party. And that might be a deal that, that you know, obviously the deal that on the protocol that would have them, I think probably the most appeal on the EU side would be one where the UK as a whole aligns with the EU and SPS as part of a solution to the problem. So I mean, I mean that is a is a challenge. I think we, I mean the, the big question on the protocol is always this: is which is you know are the the two sides have a real history of talking at cross purposes on the protocol. You know, the the the, the, the EU think they're offering a big concession, and to the Brits, it's nowhere near enough. So, you know, things do seem quite positive at the moment. But we have learned on the protocol that there's many a slip twixt cup and lip. Mm-hmm. And Katie, finally, as you say, domestic politics hasn't necessarily got much easier for Liz Truss. Um, this morning's Times front page led with Nadine Doris, not really a backstab, it's a full frontal attack. Tell us about that. Yes, yeah, so I, I think it is worth pointing out that the speech did do something good for Liz Truss in the sense that I think it has, despite the broads I've about to discuss with Nadine Doris, it does feel a little bit calmer in terms of the party. I think there's still severe concerns about where this is all heading, about what Liz Truss will be able to get through, about the next election, about even who who will eventually lead them in. Is it going to be Liz Truss? Those are private conversations, but it just feels a bit more stable, I think, than it did, you know, two, three days ago up there. What we have in the Times is Nadine Doris uh, effectively uh, accusing the government of lurching to the right. The former culture secretary warns that the Tories uh, are facing a wipeout at the next election if they do not change course. And she also says Liz Truss has made some big mistakes in her first few weeks as Prime Minister. Now, it's interesting in the sense Nadine Doris backed Liz Truss during the leadership contest. I think it was quite clear, though, at the time that one of the factors, because Nadine Doris did not think for a second Boris Johnson should ever have been pushed out, um, one of the factors was some of the Boris camp and they were getting behind this trust was to stop Rishi Sunak. Ultimately, Rishi Sunak was viewed by them as someone who did not support Boris Johnson sufficiently and they would claim that you know, he was planning his leadership during all that time and he was destabilising. Obviously, the Rishi Sunak camp would refute those things and... Therefore, it was almost, if Boris Johnson goes, we have to make sure it's not him. Mm. And it means the support Liz Truss has from that part of the party can move quite quickly. It's it's not particularly solid. And Liz Truss did not, you know, praise Boris Johnson in her leader speech. Now, that's annoyed some people. They think it would have been the courteous thing to do. There's also the issue that Liz Truss, I think, is changing tack so much in the sense that she doesn't she I think of all the different Tory leaders we've had she is one that seems the most reluctant to praise the achievements of her predecessors 
with uh, you know Boris Johnson, Theresa May, there'd be a big effort to say, "And this Tory government has done this." And this, suppose Liz Truss wants to almost you know pivot and say, "Well, we haven't had enough growth all these years, and that was the fault, even though that would mean it was direct fault of." former Tory leaders and therefore the fact that she wants to change course in a few things and also some of the soundings I think particularly on the environment in terms of um, watering down some of those commitments are landing very badly some of some of Boris Johnson's supporters and it means you if Liz Truss doesn't get out of control you know you have a very noisy group who are quite quick to agitate which is just going to add to this sense of you know lack of stability flip side Nadine Doris is not viewed by most MPs in the party as the voice of absolute reason. And therefore, it is a tricky intervention in some ways for this trust because it's one of her backers and someone who is quite willing to keep going. And it probably points to the fact that there is, you know, unhappiness closer to Boris Johnson if Nadine Doris is going out and doing this. I think that's what some MPs are saying. You know, is this sanctioned? Is this how, you know, team Boris feels? But... On the other hand, I think lots of people were actually quite relieved when Liz Truss didn't put Nadine Doris in her cabinet because they associate um, some of this with, with uh, you know, the parts of Boris Johnson's premiership which they uh, were more uncomfortable with. I, I think Katie is right that the speech stabilised the situation for Liz Truss. She'd had a kind of she'd had a very very difficult conference, and if the speech had gone wrong, I think things we would be having a different conversation on this podcast today. I think she she calmed things down because and also I think it was a reminder that again this is going to the 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 it, the speech was essentially the pitch on which she won the membership round of the, of this contest and a lot of members do agree with her. I think the challenge for Liz Truss is if you have someone like the Dean Doris who is just very happy to up the rhetoric to make sure that they keep getting quoted that can can be a, a problem for you. I mean, there was also another story yesterday, um, first broken by the, the Daily Telegraph, Christopher Hope, which is causing a lot of concern in Tory circles, which is that Isaac Levito, who mm. did all the, 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 ran the 2019 election so successfully, you know, that the, the, his services have been dispensed with by, by the Truss team. And the expectation is that Mark Fulbrook, who's currently the chief of staff in Downing Street, will, will run the next Tory election campaign. I think that has caused some concern in Tory circles, to put it mildly, because Levito is regarded as an exceptional talent in terms of his ability to run campaigns. And there are also Tories who remember the Zach Goldsmith campaign for London Mayor, which Mark Fulbrook ran, which I think it is it is reasonable to say was not a particularly um, either edifying or successful campaign. And so I think that there is a challenge there, which is you just have to be careful about how many bits of the party, how many people you leave feeling bruised. And Katie's point about the speech is interesting. You know, yes, you can say in the grand scheme of things, it's very trivial whether mm. or not she did this or not. But given that we know how prickly some of Boris Johnson's friends and supporters are, a kind of few lines of praise for him would probably have been a, a wise inclusion in the speech. Um, Katie, just briefly, is it too much to think that this is Boris on manoeuvres and Nadine some kind of outrider? So it's, I think what's really hard at the moment is we're just in very early days. So I have a piece in the magazine this week, you know, sketching out four potential scenarios that I think were being wargamed a bit by, you know, MPs, aides and so forth. You know, when you, everyone's just is looking around, they know things are not good. You don't, you can look at the polls, you can look at the tricky winter coming up, you can look at uh, the fallout from the mini budget, but no one is just quite sure how you fix it 
whether it is, you know, giving Liz Trust time, whether it is actually eventually having a different leader, is, is it the case that once your, you know, personal approvings plummet to such a point, it's really hard to get back because it's, you know, happened much quicker for Liz Trust than it has for, for most other new leaders. So there's just lots of questions and lots of uncertainty. And I think, you know, lots of people say, oh, maybe it will be the return of Boris Johnson. Maybe it will be Rishi Sunak time. Maybe it'll be a caretaker prime minister. Oh, I think, I still think more more MPs than not would say they think Liz Truss will hang on but again it's just it's just this the sense of I think just no one is just quite sure how it's going to land in terms of the situation the party's found itself in I think on the revival of Boris Johnson there are there are supporters of his that think he should never have been pushed out I think Boris Johnson probably falls into that category too we know he does in a way from from many of his comments so if there is an opportunity given he is still an MP would he try would he find I you could get to a point where MPs are so worried about their seats. They think, this is the person who delivered us that majority. This is the person who won in London, which is his pitch. But of course, this is also the same person when they had successive by-election defeats. When the Tory party is in a desperate place, they usually turn to Boris Johnson. That is almost how he became the prime minister in the first place. But I wonder if the hostility that many MPs feel towards him, particularly the fact that Quite a few MPs, probably more in the centre of the party, more likely to back Rishi Sunak, think that the current problems are caused, in a, you know, they're all linked to the fact that Boris Johnson's premiership was so wrapped for scandal. Uh, it's really hard in a way to see any option, whether the current one or different ones, that is going to satisfy the whole party. Katie and James, thanks very much. And thanks very much for listening. <laughs>